Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Brian Conrad, the Acting Director of FedRAMP. Brian, welcome to the discussion. Thank you for having me, Jason. So there's a lot going on with FedRAMP. Let me start actually in 2020 versus looking forward to 2021. I know you guys at FedRAMP had a lot of uh, accomplishments, so let's talk about some of those. Walk me through maybe from a statistical perspective, but also the organizational perspective, what got done in 2020. With FedRAMP, we set our goals very high, uh, and we made tremendous strides in in terms of growth, uh, specifically with regards to automation and uh, simplifying our message to, to our stakeholders. Obviously, we couldn't have experienced any of this growth or progress without our the incredible support we've gotten from our stakeholders. And so we found, obviously, during the pandemic, we saw that agencies authorized more cloud services than ever before. That is because everyone was trying to su- support a, a, a remote workforce. And so, you know, fortunately, with those collaboration and communication tools that, that had FedRAMP authorized, those reuses were, were helpful in helping those agencies uh, support that mission and still protect government information. So when you talk about the reuse, that's a big issue. We were talking about, because the, there's two paths to FedRAMP. There's the JAB path where you get a cloud service mm-hmm. approved, and then there's sure. the agency path. So you're talking about the agency path. Well, no. Reuses across the board, JAB authorizations or agency authorizations can be reused. And so our reuse grew like uh, 55% over last year. We authorized 64 cloud services. And again, mostly a lot in part due to the pandemic, we saw an increase in the reuse um, because everybody was pushing out remote workforce, still have to protect that federal information and, uh, and do it, you know, get everybody uh, secure. And when you describe reuse, that means somebody coming to FedRAMP saying, I'm looking at all the approvals and saying, I'll use company X for that cloud service, and then doing the gap analysis, meaning I need, there's 100 controls, I need 101 controls, well, let me look at that one control. I'm making this up, obviously. It, exactly. No, no, you're spot on there. So or once a cloud service offering has a FedRAMP authorization, and the package is on the marketplace, uh, any interested agency come, can come and access it, can request access. And, you know, per FISMA, each agency has to, has to write an ATO, an authority to operate for that system. So where the reuse is valuable is when a subsequent agency goes to use that package, they don't have to do all the work again. You're right. It's, it's kind of a gap analysis and also depending on the risk appetite of the, of the authorizing official that's, that's going to take that uh, package. So that's actually an important step for FedRAMP for the agencies more generally. Do you get a sense, and I know this is not something maybe you all measure, but do you get a sense that because of the reuse that, that ATO happened pick a time frame instead of six weeks three weeks instead of six months three months did you do you all measure that did you get a sense of that we don't have really have a mechanism in place to see when an agency decides to use a particular cloud service we see the ato letters that come into fedramp once an agency signs out an ato for them and so that is our indicator we have requests for packages the you know the the package request form so we know the agencies are are soliciting the the ability to go evaluate those packages and then we see the ato letters from that point when they request the package to the time we get the ato letters there may be certain things going on in the agency that are you know agency specific uh, more decision making you know analysis of alternatives that kind of stuff before they make the decision with to go with that particular cloud provider at the same time you talked about about 55 percent of reuse grew over last year we authorized 64 cloud services do you have a sense of how many were jab authorized how many were agency authorized it is about a two-thirds one-third mix 
the jab picks 12 cloud services to work with them each year. And so those cloud services, you know, get in line basically to go through the authorization process with the jab authorized systems. Those offerings are evaluated by the joint authorization board review teams. Each jab agency has their own review team and PMO sort of manages the pipeline for uh, those cloud services coming in. And so depending on the resources available of those, of of those jab review teams, that's how we, uh, we get them through the authorization process. So I know for a while, a lot of vendors were saying, oh, I need to get through the jab. I need to get through the jab. It sounds like that part of FedRAMP, I know that's, we're talking about, you know, five, six, seven years ago now, while the jab is still very important, it sounds to me like vendors are more happy, maybe the right word, satisfied to go through the agency review process too, and and get their packages up on the FedRAMP. Because it sounds like what's happened because of the pandemic is other people are now coming, other agencies are coming and looking at those reused packages to try to save themselves time, understand what was done. So it's almost like there's been a shift in some ways. In some ways, yes. We, you know, we do have the two paths to authorization, the agency and the jab route. And, and sometimes the focus of FedRAMP across the board is to maximize reuse. And, and the jab picks those services that have a proven demand of, of six or more agencies that, hey, we're going to use this when it gets authorized. So we know that there's verifiable demand there. The agency side allows for, you know, if an agency has a specific need and there's a cloud service that fits that specific need, they can bring it into the government market through FedRAMP. The agency will do all the, will do the initial evaluation of it. And once the package is complete, our, our agency review team will, will evaluate it against the FedRAMP standards and then we'll issue a, a FedRAMP authorization. And then that goes, like you've mentioned, that goes up on the marketplace for broader use across the government. So if another agency says, hey, that's a cool tool I could probably use in my agency, I'm going to go use that, use that package as well. We talked about how 2020 was a good year in many ways for agency reuse. There's a lot of push toward the cloud because of the pandemic. Walk me through how, how does 2021 look? What are some of your priorities? Uh, we can talk about OSCAL. We can talk about the, working with CISA. There's a lot going on, I'm sure. We set our priorities based on the voice of the stakeholders that we're hearing. And, you know, the things that we're hearing from our stakeholders is simplicity, increasing automation in the process, uh, growing the FedRAMP marketplace and providing more learning opportunities. On top of that, we're in the process of, of moving from NIST 853 REV4 control catalog to the REV5 control catalog. So some of the things that we're doing with regards to uh, threat-based scoring, we're applying that to the controls that are in the 853 REV5 catalog. And we're ensuring that the controls that are in the baselines are value-add, that they are helping with the protect, the detect, and the respond, and, you know, just keeping federal information uh, secure. But yes, uh, with OSCAL, we're continuing to work with NIST. We've made a lot of progress over the last year to get OSCAL ready to go. And of course, uh, the partnership with the, our cloud service providers has been in, incredibly helpful. Um, we have cloud service providers you know, lining up, wanting to be a part of pilot programs and such. Our third-party assessors are also looking forward to this too. It, it's critical because the implementation of the automation will help reduce the variability in the time and the resources needed to create all these uh, security artifacts. One of the things, I want to go back to the Rev5 discussion you put out. Sure. Uh, just recently, a threat-based methodology to authorizations. I was a blog post just put up uh, in early February. Walk me through what you, some of the thinking there is. I think it's a, you developed a white paper, 
And I think you're, you're just looking into this. A little, you're just starting that process. Yes. So we've had a team working with DISA, CISA, and GovCar, and also based on the NSA threat framework to apply the threat-based methodology to our FedRAMP control baseline. So again, it's, it's getting a better understanding of which controls actually support the protect, detect, and respond uh, model to real-world threats. Okay. We're exploring how this data can be used to produce a risk profile, giving authorizing officials to, to use quantitative data based on a defensible methodology to make risk decisions. Okay. So we're not adding controls just because we think it's a good idea to add a control, but there's actually some rigor behind it and it makes sense in supporting the protection of federal information. Okay. The process sounds to me like it's just getting kicked off or where are you with it? So we're in the process of scoring the controls on how they fit in with the with the threat frameworks. And because the government is moving to the MITRE attack framework, we're having to score the controls against uh, the MITRE attack framework. And so we have an ongoing effort within the PMO to work on that. Maybe a little early, but uh, if you can maybe offer some, some even the 50,000 foot view on that, do you get a sense that how this will impact the FedRAMP program going forward, meaning once you score, once you realize the controls that, that you know, really provide the most value, if you will, what will that do to the, what will FedRAMP look like or change or where is it going because of this effort? Using the threat-based methodology will allow us to focus our efforts on those controls that are actively addressing real-world threats. Ultimately, the JAB is going to have the decision on this, but this could potentially ease the burden on cloud service providers, 3PAOs, and the JAB and the PMO when looking at things like annual assessments. So we know how to focus our efforts to make sure that, you know, we're looking at controls that, uh, that are actively addressing real-world threats. Okay, I think that's really helpful because, uh, again, uh, as you said, you heard from your agency customers, your vendor customers, talking mm-hmm. about simplicity, but increasing automation. I think both of these things could help. Brian, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Brian Conrad, the Acting Director of FedRAMP. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Brian Conrad, the Acting Director of FedRAMP. Where is the OSCAL process? I did an interview with NIST uh, back in the fall uh, about OSCAL and, and some of the work they've been doing with it. Have you kicked off pilots? Do you plan to kick off pilots this year? I know we've had a team member embedded with them since the spring of, uh, I want to say, 2018. And so I know we're getting to the point where um, we're going to start piloting, but I don't want to give you any information that's uh, erroneous. That obviously OSCAL is, is, a, is, a, is an important piece to this because it brings in the automation. Mm-hmm. Do you get a sense yet, knowing that you're still kind of in the early stages, about if, if you can save five hours, 10 hours for a put the artifacts together, if a lot of that can be done through automation, it, that's really the end goal here is, is to simplify, uh, but, but not lose rigor. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that OSCAL provides is, is the validation piece, right? Is also eliminating the variation on security packages that, that come in will also enable agencies to have a higher level of confidence in the, in the package themselves, right? They know that it's been automated. There's validations and checks. So, you know, they, they know that they can reduce the amount of questions in their head because the, it's a known quantity, right? And it also helps our th- third-party assessors as well because they're the ones that are out there between the cloud service providers and the PMO ensuring that 
our federal information is protected and the cloud service providers are doing what they're telling us they're doing, that validation or automated validation and verification will help with their task as well. All right, plenty there to follow up on. I'm sure we will hear more about it going forward. I want to jump over to a different priority that that has really picked up steam over the last few years, which is the FedRAMP tailored program. You also also are looking at some web services APIs and of course the agency liaison program. Just walk me through Mm -hmm. some of the impacts these programs have had on, on FedRAMP more broadly. The Taylor provides another avenue for FedRAMP to FedRAMP for vendors. It's a great way into the marketplace for a cloud service provider that, that's fulfilling a need for the federal government and also for an agency that has a need, right? It's, it's kind of marrying the two up. And again, you know, with regards to the liaison program, that has been phenomenal, right? We, we have have a reasonably broad representation of amongst the federal agencies and the agency liaisons have been very helpful in, you know, providing a sort of a train the trainer to their agencies. You know, we provide the information, we train the agency liaisons, they, they turn around and, and give that information and provide that information to their agencies. Also the agency liaisons have been a great conduit in getting information out regarding emergency directives. And so that's, you know, that model has been, very helpful for us. And again, you know, using the looking forward to the automation and the web services API is is something we're just starting to scratch the surface on is allowing, taking the automation a step further into continuous monitoring. And we're just digging into seeing what what's in the art of the possible there. Let's go down that path maybe a little bit on the continuous monitoring. I know it's something that DHS and CISA and FedRAMP have been working toward maybe using something like a CDM type of program or something similar. Where are you at in that? You said you're just getting started, but do you expect to have more details about how that web API and continuous monitoring will work later on this year? What's, what is there a timeline you can talk to? Right now, we've had some high-level meetings, again, just to, just to discuss you know, what's in the realm of the possible. We haven't figured out exactly how it's going to be done yet. In terms of forecasting a pilot, I couldn't even, I couldn't even begin to do that right now. Okay. I know it's another one of those areas that we will pay close attention to. Uh, and speaking of forecasting pilots and, 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 and challenges is uh, we got to talk about the cybersecurity maturity model certification, the CMMC program sure. run at, at DOD. I was mm-hmm. uh, moderated a, a panel or uh, Stacey Bostjanik the, uh, a couple of month, weeks ago. And one of the things she brought up was the work with, with FedRAMP and how much of a priority it is. From your perspective, how are you guys working with DOD, with CMMC? How are you guys hopefully getting to a place where you can find some reciprocity? Sure. So we've been partnering with CMCC to find uh, points of collaboration between the two programs uh, in service to our stakeholders and our mission. We get a lot of questions from cloud service providers on how this is going to affect them and and things of that nature. And and right now, that's what we've been, been doing. We've ha- been having some uh, some conversations with them. Again, I know it sounds like it's a, with a, a very similar to the continuous monitoring. It's still in the early process. So I know there's be a lot, you'll get a lot more questions as, as you head into the summer. And as CMMC really kicks into gear, because I know that's one area that a lot of people in industry have said we'd like to see a closer connection to. And reciprocity is another one of those questions that comes up often with FedRAMP. How do we get one agency to trust the other agency's ATO? Have you seen an uptick in that because of the pandemic? Are are there things that FedRAMP is doing to promote that that sort of reciprocity? I know you can't force it because the agency has to do their own homework, but but are you promoting it or, or have you seen an uptick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have seen an uptick in the recipro- in in the reuse. 
uh, obviously, you know, during the pandemic. I think one of the ways that we can pr- promote reuse is through consistency. Okay. And so from a PMO perspective, our control baselines, our policies, our guidance, those are the guardrails of, of consistency because, you know, a CSP that brings multiple offerings through FedRAMP has to, you know, knows and understands that the baselines policy uh, apply uniformly. Um, same, same with third-party assessors. Okay. The third-party assessment organizations understand that as well, that, you know, those policies and guidance when a applied, and I tell this to the cloud service providers that I talk to and the three PAOs, that our policies and guidance, they, they form what we call, you know, what I refer to as guardrails on a road, okay? You can't expect cloud service providers to line up down the center lane because everybody's a different service model. There's different technologies and there's different size businesses. And so, you know, having our policy and our guidance being broad, like the guardrails on a road, and the goal is keeping everybody in those guardrails, right? And, you know, that we assess cloud service providers, you know, in a firm, in how they apply those things in a firm, fair, and consistent manner, I, I think that that provides a level of confidence to agencies that uh, that the package they're getting is sound. Of course, when we step further into automation, where we have the automated validation and things like that, that'll in- help increase the confidence level as well. Brian, the uniformity piece, the reciprocity, reuse piece is all very important pieces uh, of the of this of this effort. The last thing I just want to touch upon is there's the goal of consistency. You've talked about that a lot, the pandemic's impact. What's the message, I guess, to agencies? What's the message to vendors when it comes to FedRAMP? Because I think there's been so much change that's happened over the last year. I think that we're, you know, content, we're staying true to our goals. We heard the voice of our customers and our stakeholders. We have various feedback methods and we still have four goal areas, right? Maintaining simplicity at the center of FedRAMP, incorporating automation into the process, grow the FedRAMP marketplace and provide more learning opportunities. I think those things are, you know, are, are consistent. And as long as we keep striving for those things in collaboration with our stakeholder community, of course, the agencies, our cloud service providers and our three POs, I think we'll, we'll continue to move in that direction. When you look at all your goals and all the different initiatives we've talked about, is there one that you all at FedRAMP are saying, if we can get that done this year, that's huge. That's going to be, a, a, you know, I'll use the term game changer. Anything stands out to you like that? It would be the automation piece. That is something that we've heard consistently from cloud service providers and three PAOs and, and agencies for that matter. We have a, a pretty cool series of events that's coming up where, you know, we have the transition from 853 Rev4 to Rev5. So we're, we're able to apply our threat-based methodology to formulate our, new, uh, our baselines there. And then, you know, when that gets released, you know, we'll be able to apply uh, all the things and all the lessons we've learned with OSCAL and have that implemented at once. So we're seeing a, a confluence of, of various different things that on the whole will be a big change for in a positive way for FedRAMP and, and our community. All right. That's very nice. And we will continue to follow it. Brian Conrad is the acting director of FedRAMP. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure, Jason. Thank you for having me. I'm Jason Miller, and we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about cloud security. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the Director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army. Paul, welcome to the conversation. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. So, Paul, one of the stories I was interested in in touching and talking to you about is this idea of reciprocity within cloud security. And you, I know from your, what you told me previously, was 
while when you were at NGA, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, you did some work with the Air Force on cloud reciprocity. Can you walk me through that maybe as a use case a little bit? Because one of the things we see across the government is somebody goes through, gets an ATO for a cloud service. Somebody else uses that same cloud service and goes through the whole process again or only trusts 20% of it and then does 80% of it instead of trusting 80% of it and only worried about the 20% gap. So walk, walk me through that example, and then we can talk broader. Yeah, a few different flavors on reciprocity. So for instance, one agency you know, builds a system or you know, go buys some software as a service system, whatever it might be, and uh, they accredit it, go through whatever whole entire process that they do. doesn't really matter even if it was a, you know, an infrastructure platform or software as a service thing going through FedRAMP. It could just be something living in somebody's data center. The question always arises, if it's now available for other agencies to use as a service, right? So website, I can go and hit, I can authenticate to it, I can go use it. Is it secure enough where I can trust my agency's data in it, right? The, the question of reciprocity comes in like, hey, can I see what you guys have done? You know, is this thing accredited? Because I want to start putting my data because if you have a security issue, my data could now be leaked in public, right? So it's a while I'm not hosting the system, it's still my data and people care about that one. Another flavor of the reciprocity piece is, you know, someone builds and accredits a system and they're like, oh, that's a really great you know, piece of software or whatever it might be. I want to go deploy it in my environment, right? I want to claim reciprocity that, you know, you've already assessed this software and everything's good with this software so I can just go and deploy it in my environment. And the challenge there is when the system's been accredited, you don't know all the different security controls and tests that they did unless they share that with you. And so maybe the software is good, but maybe you don't know anything about the infrastructure and how it's configured that the software has to run on. Maybe you're a little bit different. So you start to pose that question. Well, wait a second, do we do things you know, a little bit different here? And then even, for instance, the FedRAMP process. And this one just came up just the, the other day, a, a new service that's been FedRAMP, right? you know, without giving, you know, too much away about the thing, it was a platform as a service offering where technically the cloud service provider is supposed to handle the operating system and its configuration, right? And applying STIGs. And the question is, well, well, wait, did anyone assess the operating system? Because we can't change the operating system. So and we, we want to look at the FedRAMP paperwork and see, let me dive into your body of evidence and what you did. Where we find ourselves is there's this layer between an application and the infrastructure and how everything has been configured together because that's typically how we ATO a system. It's full stack. We care about, you know, in the data center that this thing is hosted, right? Where's the closest, you know, water source that like might interrupt my power supply, right? Like these are controls that some systems are, are being asked to assess. And it's like, wait a second, this is a cloud service. I don't know. where the, So we fail in that middle layer of sharing the full body of evidence for like, hey, Here's how I did my homework. And, and that show your homework thing is really the thing that I think is critical when it comes to reciprocity. So the story that you're alluding to is back when I was at NGA, we had built a platform as a service. Uh, it was running in the cloud. And essentially the, the Air Force was starting this initiative out of, uh, actually DIU was starting this initiative. Ultimately, it became a thing many people know as Kessel Run. And so they gave us their code. Right? And their code ran through our CICD pipeline and it got accredited and ran on our platform. And they started using it and essentially populating it with their data. So right off the bat, the first scenario, you know, I built the software, I'm running it in my world, but it's their data. Like, where's the risk there? And they essentially crane reciprocity. They're like, hey, we're just going to use this. We didn't share any body of evidence with them. Things were good to go. But 
what happened was essentially a circuit got cut and their access to our capability got dropped because they were O-CONUS and we were CONUS. And they said, hey, we want to get this deployed in our own data center. Will you share with us how you accredited this system? And when I first engaged with our security team, I said, hey, can we share the body of evidence? They're like, well, yeah, we'll share the software piece, but like, we're not going to tell them how we do business in the data center. I was like, oh, why not? And they're like, oh, well, they may not agree with the way that we do some things in the data center for how we you know, accredit these systems. And I was like, that, that doesn't help them. They don't know what the hooks need to look like. They don't know what other things they need to account for. They don't know where our work stopped and their work needs to begin if we're going to share this body of evidence. So we went all the way up to the CISO and says, we're like, absolutely. Like, why wouldn't we share all that information? That's the thing that makes sense. And we shared, and it was, they said it was the first for the agency at the time, full body of evidence of this whole entire thing and how it was built. And so two weeks later, the Air Force had it built and had it accredited in-house because they were able to see the way that we did all of our homework. They were able to see the way that they did their homework and say, okay, we see the Delta and we can accept this risk. That's where I think reciprocity is key. Show your homework, right? Even in this world of automation, like, hey, it's been automated and everything's great. Okay, cool. Show me your homework. You should be able to show me all the code that, that led you to this conclusion that this thing was good to go. And I think that that's really critical. And I think the future world that we get to is, I hope that we get to, you know, a code repository that essentially has every single blessed test that it takes to run against a system to accredit that system. And then you can say, here's my system. Here's all the pieces and how it's built. And here are all the tests that I ran against that system. Here's my homework. Go, go, go do it. Go do it again for me. Right. Or I'll, I'll do it again for you whenever you want. And that's the future state that I think we need to get to when it comes to reciprocity is everyone needs to start sharing their homework such that we need to unearth all the pain, you know, of how we've been perhaps accepting risk. And, you know, like I said before, we need to start to lean into people. And that's a really scary moment because people start to start to share their homework and how they've been accepting risk, right? It becomes this thing of like, wait, I've audited you of whether you had a poem. I didn't actually audit you of if you're actually secure, and that's where, that's where I think the metrics need to change. And I think that's where the culture then gets to change is, is we start to share our homework and we're held accountable to our ability to, uh, to adapt and be able to manage risk in real time with all of our homework being shown. It's a great example. And, and one of the things that I think comes up time and again is what if they would have found something they didn't like? What if they found something in that test that you did that they were like, oh, whoa, 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 that's bad or, or we can't accept that risk. People would say, well, that, that's probably why that initial person you talked to said, we don't want them sneaking around. And, and I think your response of like, almost like, do we have anything to hide? Like you have to have confidence in what you did, but also confidence in if something is wrong, you want to fix it, not hide it. I mean, walk me through that discussion. It's, it's kind of like a lot of discussions are on the world of, of open sourcing things. So you can, you know, increase eyes. And I'm like, well, it depends on whose eyes. Cause you know, some eyes may not want to share with you. And I can guarantee you that the eyes that don't want to share with you whether you have a bug are most definitely looking at your code. And maybe the ones that do want to help you out, you know, some of the bug bounty hunters out there that, that want to do the right thing. And they also, you know, typically get paid for it through a bug bounty program, you know, are trying to, you know, help you out, but also help themselves out as well. So it depends on whose eyes is there to help you. But I can guarantee you that our adversaries are crawling our networks and they're looking for those vulnerabilities and they're looking for where in technology we perhaps have skipped a step. So our ability to increase the eyes on that should only make us better. Now the fear is, you know, people hold it against you or start to do all these different things. And that's where I think senior leadership has to come in is if we're going to change this culture, we need to start showing our homework and we're like, okay, 
How are we getting better? Because we need to start getting better. And I think that's a really hard change. Like we got to have some empathy for how people have been held accountable here. But the alternative is, got it. You're putting my mission at risk. That, that doesn't change the fact you're putting my mission at risk. If there is some egregious thing of like, oh my gracious, you did, you know, X, Y, or Z, there's a better way to do it. Sweet. Show me that better way. Let's learn together. Let's, let's make ourselves better. Let's make our mission more secure, you know, and we can run. And that creates a challenge because there's a lot of subjectivity in the interpretation, right? There's a lot. I mean, it's intended to be tailorable. And so there's a lot of subjectivity there. Uh, and I think that's something where the community needs to become a little bit tighter of, hey, like what, how are we going to start to interpret this in a more common way? Because what that does is it then builds confidence in developer teams that they can start to meet a better standard. You know, there's a lot of times in the ATO process where it feels like it's always a moving target. And that's a, that's a hard thing to have for, for development teams. So if we can start, this is the, the beauty of automation and CICD and pipelines. We can start to get some standardization here. We can start to increase the confidence that developers, right, are going to pass these tests and they can move on to the next stage so we can get capability in the hands of our soldiers faster. I just think there's only, you know, good things to be gained by increasing the eyes and starting to share our homework, but it depends on whose eyes. Was there any concern if the Air Force would have said, no, we don't, we don't, we won't accept the risk. And did that matter to you all, you know, if they would have rejected your, your work or, I mean, they were already using the system. So there was some initial look, see that they approved, but, but was there, you say, you know, from the time you gave them full access to the entire homework to them moving it on to their system was two weeks, which is amazing. But, but was there, walk me through, was there any concern? Was there any discussion? Like, I'm just trying to get a little deeper into the, how that process worked. Because again, I think other agencies can learn from it. I shared the body of evidence and that drove a discussion for questions. Hey, okay, I'm, I'm seeing this. How did you guys handle this? What, what is the reason for this? It's, it's people, it was an opportunity for people to learn. That, that was the most beautiful thing is, is the Air Force was like, hey, like, help, help me understand this piece. And it's cool to scrub it with, you know, kind of like, hey, well, I'm used to X, Y, or Z. It's like, okay, let's scrub it against that, that filter. Is we should have good answers. We should have better answers. And so it was just an opportunity to learn. So no, I, I wasn't a fewfold. I wasn't concerned that they would reject it because we would have forced it as an opportunity to learn because the mission was struggling if they didn't adapt. And that's the thing is, is acknowledging the trades is, you know, when you show someone a much better way, it has a positive impact on mission. And all of a sudden you cut it off and they have to go back to the old way of doing business. Now they know like the, the opportunity they've been missing the entire time. It changes some personalities and some movements. And so they're, they're absolutely willing to, to learn. So no, I wasn't curious or concerned about that. I think they and we saw it as an opportunity to learn for both of us to get better, for mission to you know, succeed at the other end. It's all, it's all beautiful things. Did you sit with the Air Force or did the NGA folks sit with the Air Force as they went through it and like page one, okay, let's look, let's read this together. Page two, walk me through kind of that, those two weeks together. They were fortunate enough where the team that they had over at DIU that was building the application was also familiar with the technology as well, right? So they had people internal to the Air Force, you know, that they knew uh, that they could have those conversations with. And so we were just, you know, another party uh, in those chats. Uh, but they, it was kind of this, someone else has done it. We can learn from them. We believe in it as well. We want to champion it, right? And, and then the door was open for the other team to, to learn and listen. And so, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a sweet collaboration. But yeah, to your point, I think it's, what about this? What about this? What about this? Going through the pages of the whole body of evidence. Paul, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office in the Army. 
I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army. If I'm an agency listening to this, do I say, yeah, well, Paul, that was special, right? That was DIU. That was, that was our, you already had 75% of the relationship there or whatever the percentage was. From, from your perspective of sitting in the Army's cloud office today, how, how are you dealing with reciprocity? How, have you, are there any services you would point to that says, hey, the Navy did this, we borrowed it, or DISA did this and we, borrowed, we, we accepted it, or we went through that same process? And any other more recent examples or any other advice to people who say, well, Paul, that was special, we're different? I'd say this for a few different things. And I don't speak for Major General Easley at all. I mean, he's, he's the scissor of the, of the Army. And uh, prior to him, when it was CIO G6, uh, Nancy Crowther, uh, was the CISO of the Army, and there's a few things that they've championed that make beautiful sense. And I'll, and I'll give a few examples. To your question, oh, that was special. Okay, well, guys, these times are special. Let's just acknowledge that. We, we've got to learn and adapt. Point two is, we didn't try and do it for some massive program of a thousand different things. We tried to do it for one thing, show it was possible, show that there was goodness and confidence in the decision at the other end for something that then becomes repeatable. And, and that's the main thing is pick that thing that's in your way and collaborate on it and see if you can start to share it to, to increase awareness. The other thing is it requires asking and it requires, you know, allowing. So for instance, someone had to ask me, can I get the full body of evidence? And it had to be me being like, yeah, there's value in that. I'll say yes to that. So I think people just need to start asking a little bit more. And then for instance, when it comes to reciprocity and repeatability, uh, for instance, Nancy Crowther championed uh, Project Sentinel, which was there are a whole bunch of things in the ATO process, right, that we apply for RMF, where it's the same answer for everyone. Like, can we just can we just document this for everyone? Like, hey, if you're looking for this answer, it's right here. Like, don't even worry about that control because it's always the same stinking answer. Like, let's just move on to the thing that might be different about you. And so starting to just buy back some of that, that tech debt is really important. And that whole entire approach for Project Sentinel was here's all the homework. For all these controls that we know these answers, here's all the things. Everyone just go, you know, reuse it. Now, that's just internal of the Army because the Army is massive. But the same can be applied when it comes to agency to agency. Hey, here's how we answer these questions. And we can move further and further up the IT tech stack for how we do that. Uh, And we can even start to expose it as a service that other people can go consume for themselves. Right. Um, So it's just I think it's starting small and and growing the community and demonstrating the value. From where you sit at the Army Cloud Management Office, when somebody has a cloud service you're interested in or something you think, hey, if um, I'm making this up, Army Contracting Command has something and you're like, hey, I think everyone could benefit from that. We want to take that enterprise. Do you have a process or a, an approach today that says, okay, how do we shorten the time from identification of that cool service to the, hey, it's available for everyone to use? Because if, the again, I'm making this up, Army Contracting Command has ATO'd it. it doesn't mean it's ATO'd for everybody because of the reasons you went through. I mean, that is the, the opportunity that we're in right now. So typically, uh, we've got this assess-only world or this assess-and-authorized uh, kind of world, which is the good for you know someone in your example like ACC or good for the, the whole entire army, because accepting the risk for the whole entire army is is a big thing. So I mean, the entirety of of C Army went through that. Is it good for the whole entire army? The entirety of Create went through the. Is it good for the whole entire army? So yeah, it's it, it's a, definitely a cumbersome process uh, for sure to move to assess and, and authorized type of world. That's where we see the opportunity with stuff like Create, is Create is providing that ecosystem for software that meets these guardrails, right? These design patterns for us to say, hey, the assess and authorize process can be repeatable here, 
right? Because typically the assess and authorize process is for system by system by system by system. There's no, you know, parity or comparison between any of them. So it drives that kind of one-off type of assessment solution is if we want, hey, this is good for the enterprise, our focus is, does it meet this design pattern that we've enabled in Create? And can we move you through this automated ecosystem where you, the developer, the operators of the cloud, right, security teams can all say, yeah, we're cool with this thing moving in a faster way because it only benefits the army writ large when it gets to production at the other end. Um, so that's where we see the opportunity for Create that's led us uh, to write our DevSecOps playbook uh, that's actually, you know, in practice, how we apply moving through that, that pipeline uh, for the design patterns that we've got. Um, and so that only means that we need to expand those various design patterns uh, as we can create better, more repeatable processes, right? So that more and more of these systems can start to meet, you know, those guardrails for a faster ATO. This concept of C-Army, walk me through what that is. So this is re- really where the Army is getting to say, this is why we're in cloud, not just for cloud's sake. Yeah, there's a few layers to it. And I'm, I'm really thankful for the, for the question. So yeah, C, little C, big Army. Uh, is essentially our cloud common services environment, and I'll unpack that. Um, the DoD has a whole bunch of regulation when it comes to adopting commercial cloud resources. Uh, there are some critical things that need to happen. This is foundational to the way that you run and operate an enterprise. Uh, you need to be able to see everything that's going on within this ecosystem. There's a certain type of oversight and monitoring that needs to exist and a certain amount of control to ensure that we're building IT systems that are not only solving a problem and Uh, completing a mission, but they're also secure and they're also designed in a way that allows us to, if we need to, adapt in real time, whether that's a security patch or whether that's a new feature or capability, uh, we need to be able to see this ecosystem and control it effectively. And that's codified in a lot of policy in the cloud security requirements guide, as well as the secure cloud computing architecture. And so what we found in the adoption of cloud before is every single program, every single initiative was building their own components of the secure cloud computing architecture. And so what we found are all these thousand flowers blooming in the cloud. And this also starts to overwhelm the architecture of the DOD, because now in order for each of those programs to share data with each other, right, we're passing data back and forth to DISA and the boundary cloud access points. Well, wait a second, couldn't we just provide this ecosystem for people uh, and just let them be a tenant within a secure ecosystem? And that's precisely what CRME is. Uh, And so what we've done is we've adopted a multi-cloud strategy where I've got a a number of different cloud service providers that I'm leveraging that I've delivered uh, common cloud services into. uh, And then I'm able to let tenants essentially start to populate those secure environments and only focus on their application, their data sets, and their mission, and their customer, uh, and leave all of the non-differentiating when it comes to our business value IT things that just have to be there. Let, let that mean, be my job. Let me take care of that all kind of, you know, low value stuff that just has to be there so you can focus on the high value stuff for your mission. And what we've seen is it actually makes it so that rather than taking, you know, nine to 12 months for a system to move to the cloud, be accredited, and then be available, uh, we're seeing initiatives that started, for instance, we had one start uh, February of 2020, and they went operational uh, in May of 2020 as well. It's a three-month turnaround timeline for adopting cloud. We're dramatically cutting down the lead time to become a running capability. And that's critical then to get feedback and improve on the resources or the capabilities that we're fielding uh, within the cloud today. At the beginning of the conversation, I brought up FedRAMP. Walk me through how, we're, obviously, FedRAMP fits in in the fact that 
it's the government-wide program to to give some initial authorization or the, the set some baseline security standards. How does that fit into Create? How does that fit into C-Army? FedRAMP, uh, applying that to cloud service providers and the infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, or you know, software as a service offerings that they have, they're diving into all the details of you know, how the vendor does business or how things are configured within a CSP. They're diving into the entire lifecycle management they're diving into who has access. They're diving into, you know, what technology they've used and, you know, does it meet FIPS or whatever standard that we've got. So they're diving into all those details and they're amassing that body of evidence for the provisional ATO, right? And that just comes to me and says, oh, I want to leverage this service for this capability. You've already done that, that work for me. So the entire foundation from the CSP side of the house for all infrastructure and platform as a service that we've used to establish create, to establish C-Army is all built upon that FedRAMP body of evidence, right? We haven't done our own thing with CSPs. That's the beauty of that reusability of that body of evidence is they're sharing all of that homework with us. And then what we did is we've actually packaged all of those components from the CSP into an inheritable, like I said before, uh, you know, you need the, the people in the process, but you also need the, the archive over an EMAS is uh, an initiative that we have of AEC3P, fun acronyms as well, uh, but essentially, it's the Army Enterprise Cloud controls that are actually in EMAS. So depending on what region of C-Army you're going to, you already have proven inheritable controls for your application and your system to inherit from so that you can move quickly. And so what controls am I getting from C-Army as well as what controls am I getting from uh, the cloud service provider themselves for how they handle the infrastructure? And then I get to focus on the Delta. And it's just another way in now the process that we're making things faster from the, you know, the audit perspective of security within EMAS, let alone the actual technical configuration within the environment. I think the, I think the model is beautiful and I love the changes that they've made to try and, to try and automate it, right? You know, but it's, it's all getting down to, you know, kind of the barriers to entry to, you know, inject your capabilities into the DoD, right? That's, that becomes harder and harder every single day. And then in the world of security, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the solar winds, you know, cap, you know thing that happened uh, is starting to see how, how these different technologies are even coming to bear and getting to, to the software supply chain, right? I see this world of reciprocity uh, starting to, to kind of dive into those, those domains, if you will, where you actually see the actual bill of materials when it comes to how software is built. You actually see validation of the actual software supply chain. I see uh, that world kind of growing and that ecosystem growing. Uh, I think probably we're probably going to get to a world where there's standardization, right, when it comes to your software supply chain and how you're building capabilities. And that's going to have a major impact on downstream reciprocity uh, for how we uh, deploy capabilities across the DoD. Really appreciate your time. I've learned a lot today as well. So let me thank my guest. Paul Puckett is the director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, thanks, Jason. I really appreciate it, man. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.